Welcome back to another episode of Consciously Clueless, the podcast that teaches you how to live a healthier lifestyle that makes you and the planet happier. The world is changing quickly. Sometimes it feels like you can't keep up. I hear you. You want to make the world a better place. You care, but you don't know where to start. You know taking care of yourself is important, but how? I get it. I have a history of diving into a new endeavor, seeking perfection, and quickly feeling like I failed. Whether it was going vegan or learning how to recycle more, I wish I had guidance to keep me on track and not overwhelmed. I can't lie, the world needs your help. But it doesn't need you to be perfect. This podcast is here to help. Here we go. Today on the podcast, I talk to Eloisa Lewis, who talks about circular regenerative economy. She's a climate scientist and just overall badass who can teach us a lot about the environment. We originally connected for her to be on Consciously Cannabis, but had so much to talk about. She will be on Consciously Cannabis later as a part two to this episode. Enjoy. Thank you for being willing to join me on this podcast. This is right up my alley, and we've had such a success. I don't only talk about cannabis, but it's been a hot topic this year. And that excites me because honestly, it's the first crop that I ever grew and just always was medicinal for me since I was a teenager. And I I got really excited to find that feedback from the world because things are just always changing so fast with culture and with what people are open to um, tolerating or experimenting with and stuff. So yeah, I'm super excited to keep this conversation moving and flowing for people so that it yeah I love the idea that we're demystifying something that's so mysterious and taboo for some people but for other people it's as normal as having tea right for breakfast or something yeah absolutely so you are running your own consulting company and Mm -hmm. I would love to hear a little bit about that first. Absolutely. So I've been a consultant, an environmental consultant, even before I started my company. I was just doing that as a freelancer, but I didn't have a brand or anything. I was a freelancer and I would get jobs through word of mouth or Upwork or something like that. And that's how I started building my portfolio was a combination of free work and apprenticeships and then Upwork. And that got me into the corporate world to begin with because yeah, that's who was hiring me off Upwork was more research institutes and cryptocurrency and stuff like that. So I I just was realizing, wow, I can apply my permaculture knowledge and experience to a really broad degree as a consultant. So I can design and implement things myself, but also just subcontract out and right. help help set up big initiatives that are beyond myself as project manager. So yeah, that's been the journey. And and then part of that journey, and this happened before, excuse me, before I started branding myself as a climate scientist, I was already meeting the world's best biologists and just interesting folk because I really to go to festivals and, and I teach everywhere. I teach yoga retreats. I teach religious spiritual retreats. I've taught in mosques even. And I just go everywhere. I just like to meet everyone everywhere. (laughs) So I started meeting. Yeah. It's such a great feeling to feel confident and curious to be, to just continue and connected. That was how I started building a team. And that's been the last few years was transitioning from being a solo freelancing person to starting to work with 
subcontractors and subcontractors and partners, sponsors, and now thinking about having teams in place for certain regions or just for marketing purposes and stuff. I guess um, I'm realizing just to interrupt you real quick, I guess I should have maybe asked for a further back because when you're saying bringing that permaculture knowledge yeah. to consulting, maybe we should talk a little bit about what kind of environmental education and stuff came before that. I, yeah. Oh, for sure. So, just to set the stage. Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a fun backstory. Cause so I actually originally went to school. I went to get a bachelor's degree. First of all, I was, we could go back to high school and school and high school. I was really interested in social justice and just peace-based practices and anti-war stuff. I, I happened to learn about climate change when I was a freshman in high school. So that was when I learned what it was and learned the physics of it. And then I wanted to pursue a path in philosophy and teach philosophy and work on like social justice and denuclearization and kind of, again, peace-focused, negotiation-focused, communication-focused processes really in the social permaculture. So I was really obsessed with how do we create social norms and community guidelines that promote sovereignty, autonomy, responsibility, common sense virtue outside of orthodoxy and how and how what what is going right in the most peaceful and happy parts of the world what are they really doing the best that's better than places that are really violent or stressed out or unhappy and so i started studying the brain at that point so i entered for a philosophy degree but then i quickly entered a cognitive science focus and started researching cognitive science so i started um, applying for grants as soon as my freshman year of college, I started applying for research grants and started to try to get a lot of. I was on a PhD track really hard. I was, I'm from day one when I hit college, I was, I'm gonna have to get a PhD in order to teach at an Ivy League university. So I need to do this path and just get into the system and you know, all of that. So I started that process, but it, along the way, I, I went to a couple Ivy League schools for research projects or study abroad and stuff. And I had a great learning, eye-opening experience from being in those environments, but I also, I think it demystified the glory of them to me as well, because I started realizing that everyone can teach themselves anything they need to know in today's world. It's not the world of the medieval ages anymore when knowledge was kept in a tower right. in Book of Alchemy up somewhere. In today's world with the internet and with communication being so open and apprenticeship and mentorship being being really open to negotiation, I realized I didn't want to get a PhD anymore and I wanted to just study environmental science. By the end of my, so that was my full four-year arc of college was starting with civilization and then seeing and then the individual with neuroscience yep. and then realizing no matter how much you try and do the self-care, at a certain point, we all drink the same air, or sorry, all drink the same water, breathe the same air and eat from the same soil. No matter how much self-individual care you do, there's the need for the whole system to have care in order to really penetrate the deep individual needs that are insecure in a world of hyper competition. That took me to environmental science because I was like, okay, if I want to create a really healthy human brain, I have to create a really healthy human environment. Mm. That's when I started studying permaculture because I met kids from Berkeley and Northwestern and all over the world that were picking up little pieces of this story with me. 
And we're all weaving together the piece of the puzzle that we have to understand what we're doing. And they were studying permaculture and it's made so much sense to me. So I started joining them and wildcrafting. And I, so after I graduated college, I (laughs) basically had already gone to my first rainbow gathering and rainbow gatherings are permaculture gatherings. And I basically was great. I'm going to start hitchhiking around the country. I'm going to start going to festivals year round. I'm going to start cultivating plants, edible and medicinal plants for my work trade and for my economy. And that was seven, eight years ago now that happened. And I just went on, I just astral projected and went on an adventure into the world of challenging all my own assumptions and following permaculture wherever it took me in the most interesting places with both the social permaculture and the agroforestry of it. And um, yeah, and I've just had a blast. I've written a couple books. I have my company now. I feel I just get to do the simplest thing, which is tell the truth. That's what I really feel I get to do. And it's the best of all worlds, because I think that's what we all really want to believe that we're here to be ourselves and tell the truth, because that's the most blessed thing that I think anyone can experience. So I really feel at the end of the day, that's what my life has been fighting for that and fighting for that space and community that could hold that safety for me so that I could fully express myself and all the complexity that's going on, because I fully straddle the scientific world as a physicist and an astrobiologist. And then I also fully straddle the spiritual world as a Sufi and just as a, as a spirit, <laughs> as, a, as a spirit myself, as an artist. And that's the most challenging element of all of the work. But also I know that it's the most important part of it is making sure that I don't lean too far into one realm because then I'll lose that that bridge that I've created by being open to both of them, open to listening at any time for my intuition or for my observation is what I have to say. The inward or the outward, the artistic or the scientific. Yeah. That's, first of all, so beautiful. <laughs> what a What a wild way now, of course, in hindsight, but looking back at the arc you took and how even though as you were shifting and changing in what we declare as a major... Yeah. You really had the same goal the whole time. Yeah. You said telling the truth. I just feel I need to tell. It's so innate in you. It's so beautiful. Thank you. It is that. It's totally that. I think that what kept me going forward at all was just being really unconcerned with how I looked to other people, first of all, because I know I already knew how I looked was going to be controversial, and it was. And people always say, you can't be a generalist. You have to niche, and you have to niche. And that's okay to a degree, but at some point we should be Renaissance people. We should be, the phrase they used to say only a hundred years ago and 200 years ago would be a well-rounded person, a well-cultured person. So a well-cultured person isn't necessarily someone who's an expert in clock making, but they might know a little bit about it and they might know a little bit about French and they might know a little bit about candle making and a little bit about, and that starts to bring together its own type of learning and pattern making and again with permaculture the patterns are what allow us to start to have deeper learning just observing the patterns and anything so being someone who yeah just had to kind of bite the bullet or I don't know what it is maybe it's just defending our kind of right to be ourselves it's it's funny that needs defending but it totally does and it's also 
an important part of this whole process. Yeah, truly. And amazingly spot on. So when you jumping back to thank you for bringing us back to where I started, which I just got excited to hear from you. So I was asked a question out of order in my brain. Right. Uh, (laughs) But I would love to hear then in terms of being an environmental consultant for listeners, what does that mean? The company reaches out to you. What are they looking for? What do you help people with? Totally. So I think what I've learned about the realm of consulting is that you're really crafting your offer for them to review. It's really hard to go into a company and do diagnostics, which is what I really wanted to do. That's why I know it's so hard because what I (laughs) wanted to do is just be, oh, I should audit your company first. And then I'll tell you what I'll do after so that I can see where you have pain points. But then I also realized now so many companies are just really, unless they're already a, a business in sustainability that's already has that about As, those things. Exactly. Unless they're already really deeply involved in sustainability, most companies all have the same problems and don't know what they're doing. And so it's really, I think it's really not what they're looking for is to feel, oh, someone's going through my accounts. And so even though I do auditing with the brave, <laughs> with the brave ones, I think that the best approach for any environmental consultant, including myself, is I come with packages mm, yeah. depending on the industry. And I offer different packages and the kind of um, universal, very easy entry one for me and the way that I do permaculture is event planning and management so that we can make sure that they're aware of all the options in any event that an organization's having for their employees or for their clients, that it's an experience that is in a location that's sustainable when possible with materials and food and drink that are sustainable with land acknowledgement, with water acknowledgement, climate acknowledgement, and just thinking about their waste, energy, transportation, all the things that intersect to create that, to make that event take place. We just want to make it more extraordinary. So that's the kind of thing that we bring to companies. And we also bring full portfolios of investment opportunities where there's venture capitalists holding companies and stuff out there that are looking for, okay, I want to grow my bank, my money, my insurance. And so I want to give that money to groups of people who are interested in making profit. And so that's also a difference between my company and a lot of other really great companies is that my company is for profit and we have a for profit type of strategy and just getting people in front of investors who are in that that realm of economics that are interested in doing things and creating profit off of those businesses, whether it's creating a farm or a farmer's market or a cafe or investing in a huge $20 million product that is for a city, something that there's just, I have to be in the business of knowing what are the best solutions for climate change and across the different industries, because there, again, there's patterns, energy is a problem in every sector and fossil fuel, how do we replace fossil fuel? And there's already so many ways to do it. So now that we know it's so possible, it's just really about getting the information in front of people fast enough so that people know that the options are actually out there and already invented or already ready to go. And that people just now those teams and those researchers and those communities just need money to fund their projects and transition the economy. 
And so, yeah, those are some of the ways that we're talking with clients and where we're helping clients and just coming up with real kind of bespoke custom solutions for people right off of the bat so that we can address like they're each unique company is just for me as a person. It's a unique right. person. So I have um, patterns that are going to help, which is that um, the things that I learned in permaculture school and from Project Drawdown, which is uh, another great organization, and then from just life and my friends that I've met along the marketplaces and festivals. And from there, yeah, it's just, it's fun to see the sky. I feel like the sky's the limit because I think at this point, all of our problems are solvable on earth. All of our problems, they have a solution and they have many solutions, not just one. We can even have a buffet of options for all of our communities and our corporations. But now it's just really getting people to settle down and understand where they need to focus and that they do because so many people still debate whether the solutions exist or not and that's the that's the next phase i feel our culture shift is for people to accept that the solutions are here and it's okay and it's and we don't need to be as afraid as we are and we don't need to fight and war is just not the answer for anything ever war is not what is going to solve any crisis of any kind for me because but the thing is the solutions are so hidden underneath all the other conversations that's what that's what I feel that's what we get to do the best whether we're in a media opportunity or whether we're in a client opportunity we're just really here to make sure people feel safe and good again knowing that the choice is truly ours and and life is really resilient and really fights for survival We just need to respect that more. And I think we often think of our own survival, but yeah, but thinking of our own survival, it's a paradox. If we only think of our own survival, then we overfish the lake and we over harvest the land and till the soil and throw away soil. Oddly, there's farms that throw away soil after using it. And there's just odd practices that we have because of convenience and money and prevailing culture. And it's just a matter of waking up out of those those mistakes and those accidents of self. I'm guessing people are reaching out to you, not people are being sentenced to have an environmental consultant work with them or something. But I'm just thinking of how there's so much greenwashing in terms of talking about solutions or being here's this kind of band-aid fix. Do you ever come across that in talking to people that they're we can just take straws away and we're good, right? Do you have to really, is it an educational thing for these clients that you're working with? Not only every time, all the time. I live in an educational space too. So I'm at the front lines of the movement. So I'm hearing things left and right every week, every month from my fellow researchers that are in the field. I've got, I'll get an amazing new fact about biology from a friend who's observing it because they're just right there doing the experiment. And so it's always new because it's new for me too. So when I go to the clients, no matter what client I have, even really put me in a convention with a bunch of other experts of my same field, we're all having our minds blown all the time. So it's definitely educational and it's really, yeah, it's, it's just a matter of it's when I went to climate school, they, my instructor, Kevin Bayek was take everything you think, you know, about civilization and what's good for civilization and just throw it out the window and start from scratch. Just 
believe, pretend and believe that you don't know, you don't, you're not bringing any assumptions to what is good for the environment or what is bad for it or what is good for civilization was bad for it. And let's start from scratch and by listening and by observing what, what nature is doing when it's taking care of itself at its best, at its finest. When, for example, I talk about this is one of my favorite examples. I could get an air purifier. I live in Quebec. I live in Montreal most of the year. I could get an air purifier from Samsung or something and have it in my apartment. It's really high maintenance. It uses batteries and electricity and it might break. And then I have to spend more money to fix it. And it has to be transported to be fixed or transported to be replaced from probably China or Korea or something like that. And, but then I think about, okay, how did nature purify the air for itself? If, if I need an air purifier, is there an animal or a plant or a system or a, a mineral that can do that for me? And that's when we're moving into the realm of really the mind-blowing sustainability and biology that's going on, I think. Because if I set up an air filtration system in my front yard, where I have all these really great air purifying plants, minerals, and animals working together, then that's something that can be sold and distributed and replicated as a job because I could have that be my demonstration site, bring people to my site and be if you want this on a scale, if you want your hospital or your school to have an air purifying system for generations to come for potentially infinity, as long as as long as the earth there is stable and there's not catastrophe, natural disaster or something, it will be stable. And in fact, these systems often stabilize and create microclimates. So it's not only that you're installing a biological ecosystem that's going to be a sanctuary for wildlife and a carbon sequestration site and a farm that you can create food and sell that or materials and sell that. It's also going to be something that kind of can duplicate itself over again. You can show it's not just here. It doesn't just happen here. This this is replicable again and again. And then you don't have the high maintenance system of the air purifier that relies on. If my kids wanted to inherit that air purifier, who's to say that company will exist? Who's to say anyone will know how to do the maintenance? Who's to say that it won't become obsolete fairly quickly according to whatever technology? There's some technology that just seems to stand for itself. And that's a hard pill to swallow for some folks. It's interesting. I think many humans intuitively and spiritually see the reason in that, the kind of divine beauty and, oh, it's really out of our hands. The best technology is really free and out of our hands and really regenerating itself and and independent from us and how that's really a beautiful, good thing. And then there's other people who I find are just really shocked by that and they're really taken aback and it's really hard for them to process it and digest that information because they're coming from a paradigm where man on the moon has to be better than an agave plant or something that. Hey there, it's me. If you're digging this conversation so far around conscious living in this episode and you're feeling inspired to make change, that's literally why I'm here. If you want sustainable ways to be sustainable, you hear eco-friendly or green and wonder if you're doing it right, You want to make your diet more earth-friendly by going vegan. You want to live a more connected life, but you're not even sure what that means. No judgment. It is possible to feel excited about making changes to make a difference in the world every single day with your choices, to go vegan and stay vegan without feeling like you're missing anything, or to learn how to make good choices for the planet without feeling stressed. 
I help folks who are ready to make changes in their life that support their health and the world around them through supportive coaching, practical education, and steps that make you enjoy the process. If that's you, email me at consciouslycarly at gmail.com and let's chat. Back to the episode. Hi there, my name is Amy Fagan, and I want to talk for just a second about my sustainability podcast called Grounded in Maine Podcast. I'm passionate about sustainability, and I'm dedicated to promoting its importance through this weekly podcast. I'm a student of life, and I love learning about people's stories. Do you have a story about sustainability? I'm curious to learn about you, too. Please follow me on Instagram at Grounded in Maine Podcast and find my podcast wherever you listen. Kind of thinking it feels such human ego to be know that regenerative natural process couldn't be a better solution than the billion dollar tech I created. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's really it. And it's really, and it doesn't mean that they can't work together. I want to work with people who have billion dollar technology, but I'm not going to say that any, I'm never going to say that any solar panel or electric vehicle or spaceship is going to be more fundamentally important to life on earth and the climate on earth than biodiversity. And I know that this is becoming less and less controversial every minute, every minute that I keep pounding this drum the universe is, we get it. And I'm like, do you? We're not there yet. Exactly. No, we're not there yet. But some people get it. It's fun. It's fun to see where people are at. Because as soon as I right. mention that, people will be, they'll either be like, no, it can't be that simple. Or they'll be like, I completely, yes, I under, I get it. And what's next? And what do we do now? And biodiversity is the coolest thing ever. And I'm like, great. You have, you have graduated. Yeah. <laughs> you have graduated from whatever, I don't know, into sovereignty again, is what I would say. I really think it is about sovereignty when at the heart of, do we want humans to be that in control? Do we even want that really? Humans, I think it's so humbling and so good when we're, no, we're just, we're, we are animals. That's fine. That's good, actually. Being an animal is a good thing. And being a part of an ecosystem is a great humbling fact in and of itself. And right. to be a complete cyborg or immortal is actually a really cold existence and a really extractive existence. And oh man, this is a fun one. This is a really fun one. So I used to work on AI and cognitive science. And my big argument is that any technology that we create, it will be useful and we can make it really efficient and we can recycle the parts and that's going to be amazing. But I believe that our technology is capable of quantum mechanics and quantum computing and the same things that we need. That's how we recognize the validity in something else doing that process is because we contain the same process. If we if there was a, a calculator calculates and we know that it does it correctly, not because we can't, but because there's some kind of reflection of ourselves in that. There's a recognition. There's a that's what the validity is when we recognize, oh, that machine produced the right function instead of it just being nonsense where we recognize that is square root of four wow and and it somehow maps on even when we don't fully realize how and for that reason i just think that we should really be cultivating our technology of ourselves and our community and that again that biology and self individual in community in context is the most powerful technology available and quantum and miraculous because i think that 
anyone who's looking for immortality or eternal youth or love is looking for something impossible and miraculous. And I think that we find this eternity, it, it might, it's not necessarily immortality to, to have eternity is what I find from my own experience as an alchemist is I can feel I'm really contained in the infinity of things and love and truth without feeling, oh, I'm never going to die. That's such a different feeling for yeah. me. Um, and and a lot of these, the results of the systems we have is I think because people feel they lack context and they, especially in a country like America that's has not thousands and thousands of years of a cultural history that is dominating the narrative. We have only a couple hundred years of colonizer history and media dominating our current narrative. And that's why I think it's doubly confusing. We double down on the confusion as Americans because um, we are not, yeah, we're just, we're totally out of accordance with our environment. We look around, we don't know what to eat. We don't know what to hunt. We don't know how to live without selling all of our time. And that's just, that's the inflammation where medicines, cannabis can help and food, sea moss and aloe vera and okra are helpful and <laughs> help very difficult things and ideas and processes to be di to be digested and digestible. But I think, honestly, I think COVID was, and the pandemic was probably useful for the effect of my work because I was just talking to a cannabis cultivator who planted that time in their yard as a insecticide as mm. a pesticide and I was that's so great because you're planting the plant instead of relying on what other farmers and what I've done in the past is buying essential oils or concentrates online and if the supply chain so if an earthquake happens and the road is closed for who knows how long depending where you are in the world or if a hurricane happens and, and the roads are flooded and or if a fire happens or whatever and you're you become isolated and you're not able or a pandemic happens and supplies aren't moving across borders you have what you need because you're homesteading now or you're closer to it or you have a community member who you can go to for right. here in tucson i have friends who grow all their own food and i have many of them so we have a whole community market between 20 people we have all the great things that we need for surviving and for thriving medicinally and I think this is this is the biggest thing that I've seen change in the last few years for myself and the work I do as a consultant is just, wow, it hits people right away when I say this is about disaster resilience. This is about it's not it. We're hitting every mark. It comes really it comes really hard to deny climate science as I do it the way I do it. I don't know. I can't speak about everybody else, but I just bring it back to the water, the soil, the air and the food and then and no politics. We all share oil, we all share soil, food, water, and air. And when we are healing those things, we're healing everything that exists on earth. When we're detoxing those things, we're detoxing our bodies, we're detoxing our communities, we're creating more peaceful relationships and deeper understanding of this entire cosmos. It's so it's such a cop out in so many ways. And it's it's such a propaganda and confusion to be we're not really here for any reason. We are here in the most basic way observing and participating and if you believe that there can be meaning in that observation and participation you can begin to grow things in this universe in this vr that are actually respectful of it 
instead of just respectful of ourselves and our own dreams and our own visions, which is very much living in your own singular solo dream where everything is just about you and you're the center of the universe. There's a balance. You have to have a balance between being the center of your own universe and recognizing that every single particle in this universe is also the center of the universe. (laughs) Even that dust might (laughs) flying through the air or that mosquito or whatever it's totally the center of its own universe and has its own gravity like that too. And there's something that's where the deep, really deep, cool alchemy of the science and the art come together, I think, in our, as a human is being okay. So every single thing has some kind of meaning and matters, but I also matter as equally as every single thing. And it's meaning and what then that's what our life is that's then where everything else happens is that kind of tension and movement and dance of hot and cold or pleasure and pain and where is it where can I go where everything even pain has meaning and grief and tragedy have meaning and definitely those things have meaning when we remember we all want to be loved. We all deserve to be loved. There's not a shortage of love. If we sit and remember that it's entirely possible, we're all here for a reason, we're all loved. And it's just already happening instead of it being something that you have to go out and find exactly. And if you do have to go out and find it, don't take it from others. There's a difference there too. Going and finding and having a serendipitous experience and being, wow, that just came to me. And I just discovered this. I didn't even know it was that is completely different than being that's mine. I want it. It doesn't matter. I'm taking it. Whatever. I know I deserve it. That's a that's that can happen. But that's something that we have to be really willing, I think, to not do too many times in life to save that type of emotion and declaring. That's a big gamble. That's rolling big dice. I read some of your work, of course, after looking you up and Morgan sent me your LinkedIn and I was reading articles and learning so much and probably should read them again. And so there's that piece. And if you're saying the science and the art, but it's so interesting to have this kind of heady climate expert knowledge And it's so clear that you're so deeply spiritual and deeply connected to indigenous ways of seeing the world and the land and the people around us. Do you ever receive pushback in the climate world for having more of that spiritual hold on things? Honestly, no, it's weird. I feel I have gotten the most. I honestly don't. I know that sounds so you would expect. I, that. I think that's great. I, that's I'm a heavy hitter. Is my why. assumption. No, I'm a heavy hitter is why my grandpa is a brilliant physicist who worked on electricity and sound and, and electricity and sound are really spiritual elements really and water. All those things are fundamental to to, to the spirit. Um. And so I think that I was lucky because I had an absolute genius grandfather who challenged me my whole life to not assume anything, to really be, you are here to receive your information from the universe. And he wasn't spiritual, but he was, he understood Einstein's theory of relativity. 
Yeah, he was so virtuous and he had a love of life. And that was his spirituality, but he wasn't religious or he wasn't a mystic, but he just was full of vigor and full of the full of the idea that, again, that the universe speaks more loudly than us, at least. He was really positive that as a physicist, he was, there's something going on here. The universe is talking to us and we really need to listen. I'm not sure exactly the details of the religion or the mysticism, or I don't want to tell you how to live. He would never tell me this is what a moral person is. He would never say something like that. He was very much, he was just, you have to listen and respond. And that's going to be what life is about is catching and releasing information. And, and so because of that, I studied logic and math and physics really intensely so that when I could go in an environment where I'm speaking with microbiologists and citizen scientists or complexity scientists or people at NASA or people who work with quantum computers, there's, if you study logic, I can tell anyone who's listening to this, and maybe one day I'll teach logic online or something, that'd be really fun. If you study logic, You study epistemology specifically, which is what my specialty is. Epistemology is the study of validity itself. So it makes it really good. You become really good at understanding arguments is what I'll say. Yeah, I was just going to say, I bet you are a bear to argue with. Yes, totally. (laughs) a compliment. (laughs) It is. It 100% is. I, because I don't get... I've learned and I've trained as that's what it means to become a professional philosopher is or or politician or anything is you debate so that you don't become emotionally involved in what you're debating. And that doesn't mean that I'm a robot because I have emotions and you can't cross a personal line without getting me upset. But you can definitely talk to me about idea if it's really about the ideas and it's really about validity now we can get somewhere interesting. And I promise that because I think that's my specialty. And I think that's what I have to offer. But definitely this idea of what I found more was artists have a hard time accepting me. Scientists have an easier time accepting me. And it's so funny. Artists have a harder time. No way, man. That's the big guys in the ivory tower. And that's really important part of understanding life as an artist, too. That's a really important part of it is, again, keeping your mind open and your heart open to being wrong, being very wrong about the assumptions you're making about people, which is why I try not to make any. That's how I stay safe in this crazy world we live in is really trying to be no matter who you are, whether you work for Camel Cigarettes or Safeway grocery stores, a checkout clerk, or you're homeless, or you're a billionaire, I literally will treat everyone the same. Because I'm just who are you? You tell me who you are. I don't actually know who you are at all. And I don't know if I want to know, but let's try. Let's see. Who are you? You tell me who that is. I'll try. And hopefully you have the blessed abundance to actually tell me the truth. Because that's what I think real abundance is the ability to be, you know what, I'm not afraid of dying. I'm not afraid of war. I'm not afraid of whatever. I'm going to speak truth to power. When I see something that's not okay, it doesn't matter if I get fired. It doesn't matter if they're threatening to bomb Saturn. They need to hear the truth. We need. Right. We all need to hear the truth. And it doesn't have to be the truth either in the sense of it could just be my truth. You just and, read my mind too. I was, we're starting a cult right now. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. The truth. It's the truth. I'm just saying the ability to express yourself is it. And that's, and I want to make room for, I can express myself all day, but I'm not doing it right. If I don't pass the mic and listen to any other person 
in it within it with reasonably because again i i i don't think i'm i'm not a total altruist in the sense of we need to bend over for each other and just be slaves to one another or aristocratic or bougie or whatever we can just be just respectful just recognize that there's abundance and when it doesn't work so when it didn't work with that community i was okay there's gonna be other people who respect what i do and actually value it and want to learn from it here i am and i also want to love you for who you are and I want to know who that is. And I want that person to be safe because I know that it's our feelings of insecurity. Literally, insecurity is such a great word. It doesn't just mean the feeling of not being good enough, but they're not, but also they're not being enough. Insecurity is such an important word for us to reflect on all of us every single day because we have to be in abundance and to be out of that scarcity mindset. We have to recognize that we are enough and there is enough both. Mm. There's enough of whatever we want. Food, water, land, love, whatever it is, it exists out there for us to go connect with and cultivate and protect. And the same thing with ourselves. I'm enough. What's going on is enough. It's that important for the universe. What I, even just me sitting here observing, breathing is enough and it's important. <laughs> yes. And starting from there and getting grounded there, I think will help with the politics. The politics are very stressful is what I'll say. And that's why I would rather reverse engineer it. And instead of talking about who's suffering the most, we talk about how to stop suffering. And now we've changed everything. <laughs> Actually, when we stop trying to outdo each other for whatever reason, because some people will think that suffering is better and some people think not suffering is better. But they're both neutral. We need context. We need storyline to know whether the suffering is justified or not. And sometimes we'll never know. We can know how to stop suffering. We can stop suffering with food, with water, with air, with biodiversity, with sharing, with peace-based, needs-based communication, with ceasefire, with with creativity and imagination the most i'll re i said that earlier i think in february or something this year and i'm going to bring that back because yeah that's where the artists that's where the artists get the scientists that i'll bring it back i'll, I'll always bring it back everybody's got something to share but the artists that's the engineering mind of the scientist when right. at best is when there's the creative solution because the having a problem having something break in front of you seeing something broken can be very flight fight or freeze for sure but what we all have to do is believe that there's a solution that makes sense and that whatever it is whether it's devastating or not there's a solution that makes sense and that is peaceful somewhere in the manifold for us to find and that's always going to be the thing that allows us to pursue it and doesn't ensures that we don't give up too fast along the way or that we lose faith too because yeah this life is faith-based anytime whether we're in the mayan dynasties or the mayan con ancient mayan context or we're in the ancient chinese context every civilization has had doomsday apocalypse theories and sensations and mythologies and we're just we're always concerned with the collapsing of the universe whether it's on a personal level or it, 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 an entire as a physicist again looking at the universe or the multiverse and wondering when does that end and how does that end and 
we're thinking about endings a lot, but if compost taught me anything, it's, and if quantum mechanics taught me anything, it's that there aren't really ends, right? This doomsday and apocalypse, they're just disasters in time, but they're never the end of the story. And so that's another great thing to how to process trauma, the trauma of, of being alive, of witnessing, of being here is that there's not an ending for us to try to escape. So when we lean into life and we stop trying to escape life and escape our insecurities, but confront our insecurities, confront our life, confront our existence here, that is what roots us into really good work with also in careers and with cannabis and with whatever, because it would be really easy. I was shamed. Anyone else, I was shamed about cannabis and shamed about climate my whole life and my beliefs my whole life. And now presidents of universities are calling me and asking for help. So I think that's a great for anyone listening to is just to remember that shame and defeat and critics are just always going to be there along the way. And that's part of this tension of birthing reality and birthing new reality. And that's not the trying to do things differently. You can't expect not to run into some roadblocks of people who are really scared for you to be doing things differently. Cause that means they have to think about their own worldviews and should they do things differently too? Oh, totally. And I really think it's funny because once you get into the deep permaculture and what's going on here, if you go to an eco village or if you go to an organic farm, it's instantaneous of just, you're going to have a psychedelic experience. You're going to have really good food. You're going to have, you're going to be healthy. You're going to breathe cleaner air. You're going to get exposed to great pathogens and your immune system might be boosted. And I think it's great news. All this simplicity is really great news. It means that money doesn't rule the world. It means that fame and beauty and greed and strength don't rule the world. Community rules the world. Really, the ecosystem rules the world. So that's community. It's the sharing. It's the kindness. It's Mm -hmm. the dreams that we have. It's love that and truth that really rule the world. And the other things we're just mad about as humans because we had other plans sometimes. We thought that we thought that things were supposed to go our way, but the way of the community got into the way that we were told it was supposed to go. Oh, for sure. Oh my gosh. I didn't meet when I was 15 years old. I didn't meet anyone. Me. I didn't know anyone. We existed not even close. And I thought by the time you're 31 years old, which is how old I am. I was by the time you're 31, you're pretty much sold out. You're sold out. You, you're doing something you don't want to be doing. Because that's what I saw in all the 31-year-olds around me. I was have a job they don't want, a partner, life partner they don't want, maybe kids they don't want, all this stuff. I'm 31 people. and that's still a lot of, wait, right? That's, yeah, that's a whole nother. This is what I mean about the inner child. The idea that you have to keep the dream and the inner child alive so that that person doesn't just give up. It Life is it's okay to rest. It's okay to have moments of rest when you're, I've had jobs I didn't want to have. I've had bosses. I believe that for everyone, every single person, every single animal, giving what you love to the world really, truly, and figuring out when you give what you love to the world, you'll figure out how the world wants to love you back for that. And just stay, stick with it. I love that so, (laughs) so much. It's so beautiful and such a good 
reminder with, you can say this any day, but with everything going on in the world. If you're hearing this message, you've listened to the entire episode of Consciously Clueless. And for that, thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this new episode. And if you did, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or tag me and share in social media. Share this episode with others who may be interested in this topic. To get more resources, influence on topics covered, and bonus content, join the Consciously Clueless community over on Patreon at patreon.com slash consciouslycarly. And don't forget, if you need help living more consciously, let's work together. Email me today. See you next Wednesday for a new episode.